Go Beyond with Kiki TV. Insights for optimal vitality, movement, mindset, and meaning. Tired of hearing the same old crap? Then tune in and listen to expert events with Kiki TV. KikiTV.life. Hi, welcome to Kiki TV and welcome to this expert event. I'm so happy to be sitting down with Brian Sanders. Brian is a documentary filmmaker, among other things, and he's making an extraordinary film called Food Lies. And Food Lies is uncovering the lies that we have been told about food that have really affected the health of our community overall over these last couple generations. And he's uncovering the truth behind food. And he has a great podcast called Peak Human podcast in your research on the documentary film and in all the amazing conversations you're having on your podcast you're sitting down with true experts researchers and discovering the way that we should eat the way we can do it humanely for humans for the planet for the animals and how we can get out of this terrible health crisis that we're in welcome brian thank you so much yeah it's a long long (laughs) intro but i I try i'm doing a lot of things (laughs) You're the podcast expert, so I, it probably was too long, but I'm really no, enthusiastic to be sitting down with you. Um, I think um, what led you to start to look at these food lies and get to the truth? I know you had some hard personal experiences. Yeah, you know, usually people don't really think about health until something happens to them or someone they love. And it kind of happened to me at the same time where I hit 30 I couldn't eat whatever I wanted anymore. You know, I was always pretty athletic and all that. So I could kind of stay in shape despite being really active. And I thought, oh, you just get older. You know, that's just what happens. Everyone's like, oh, you have a dad bod. I'm like, well, I, I don't think that's normal. I mean, it's typical, right? It's like very typical right. to have a dad bod, but that doesn't mean it's normal or that it's good. And so around that same time, I actually lost both of my parents to these chronic diseases, which thank you. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty devastating. My, 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 you know, my mom had Alzheimer's for quite a while. And around that time she became sort of unresponsive, you know, not able to take care of herself. And then my dad got diagnosed with prostate cancer. And so both of these, we don't really think are directly related to diet, but they are, (laughs) they are related to our modern and lifestyle. And there's really no denying that. I mean, I've through all my studies, I've talked to tons of people. I'm actually going to Africa soon to interview, live with some of these tribes and all these other people who do not follow the modern diet and lifestyle, do not get Alzheimer's or cancer or type two diabetes or anything else. So these things are not normal. They're related to what you eat. And I think everyone kind of has a sense of that, right? They're related to how you eat and how you live. But some things we associate more close to diet, which would be obesity or type 2 diabetes, because people know that has to do with what you eat and blood sugar problems. But there are, there's so much more to it once you get into this rabbit hole. So that's how I started going down the rabbit hole, which was seven years ago. I'm 37. And I'm in the best shape of my life. I Go to his website. Go to his amazing. I don't have- You'll see. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I work out for like 15 minutes a day. I mean, I, I don't do, it's so easy. I, I, I don't go to the doctor. I don't have any problems. Small things went away. 
you know, I'm talking about when you hit 30 and all these things kind of build up, you know, you get a little belly or you get this and that you think it's normal. I thought it was normal. I just had allergies on my life or I had chronic overuse injuries and inflammation in my joints and arms from using the computer and you know, just a million small things. And all those went away when I changed my diet. I also thought that I had like overuse syndrome, like, oh, I've used these things, my joints <laughs> too much. And as soon as I moved from this, have, you know, 35 years vegetarian, I really had to open my mind to look into these ancestral traditions, to look at the Weston Price research, to look at all the low carb, high fat research, um, all these leaders in the community. And I started to eat in this traditional way with animal fats, not a balanced diet, no vegetables, high fat, mm. meat protein, animal protein. Well, I crossed the threshold of not 30, of 50. <laughs> and um, I don't have any of these so-called overuse syndromes or this inflammation or this, you know, fat that we're supposed to get, these terrible menopause problems that women are supposed to get. I'm not ready to be put out to pasture yet. In fact, I feel like <laughs> I'm just waking up. So how did we get into this predicament where our food system changed so much and our food got our government stepped in with these food pyramids to say, this is a new way of eating. And now if we look at these food pyramids, what does it change every five years? Animal protein was at the bottom. Now it's in a little, you know, tiny triangle at the top and donuts are on the bottom and all of these, you know, grain based, plant based. How did we well, just process? Yeah. Process. All the processed foods and grains. Yeah. How did we, where did exactly. this come from and how did we get here? Well, it's a long story. It's, it's pretty interesting though. It had some, it had some twists and turns as some religious influence, even with the seventh day Adventists. And I like to start with, for all of history, right? We talked about ancestral eating for all history, animal protein and fat were the most prized things we could have, right? This is gave us sustenance. This helped us for our entire human history. And until the late 1800s, there was no recorded history of anyone thinking any otherwise, right? There was no vegans back then. There was nothing. It was, yes, if you could get meat, you loved it. But the Seventh-day Adventists had this idea of the Garden of Eden diet and that they interpreted the Bible, I guess, into saying that the Garden of Eden was all plants and that we couldn't eat animals. And, and this actually had a big effect on it. There's this whole story that Dr. Gary Fetke and his wife, Belinda, do amazing work. If anyone wants to look into it, I did a podcast with Dr. Gary Fetke and all this. So this is this, when it all started, right? It's we, around 1880s, this woman had some visions and she thought meat was impure and made men angry and violent and that plants and were pure. sexualized and things like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And this was around the time. I mean, yes, there, there weren't a lot of women's rights back then. And there probably were some problems, but that was probably due to alcohol and, you know, uh, and Poverty. just exactly so many other reasons. It, it was not meat. So she started putting it together, woman, Ellen G. White. And then she was kind of at the beginning of the Seventh-day Adventist. And it goes on to even John Harvey Kellogg in the early 1900s. It started Kellogg cereal. And there's this whole anti-masturbation component to it where people ate this bland diet of, you know, cornflakes that they wouldn't have sexual desires. And it's just sordid history. It's, you know, it's this whole story. Yes. And then he had a spa and people were doing 
enemas and whatever mm. these all these different lifestyle things and that is hugely influential on the vegetarian movement and that um that idea of the garden of eden diet that's i saw that book in the health food store uh in the early 80s when i was a college student and that was part of my reading uh, mm -hmm. we didn't have so much information you know we weren't in the information age if we were interested in optimal health or vegetarianism um in the 70s and 80s if there was 20 books in the health food store that was it that was where we got all of our information and yeah. we now see that was very bad information it is yeah i mean it's sad because these ideas kind of just took over and it and it kind of makes sense part of the problem is this sort of vegan vegetarian idea sounds good on paper you know it's oh we're not going to harm anyone and supposedly it's really good for you it's really clean and it, you know it has a good pitch right it has a good sales pitch but then when you break it down none of it actually holds up to science right so nutritionally we know it's it's not it's it, plants foods are just not as good i mean it's just hard science and we can, we can get into all this later once we go through the brief story of how we got here. But the nutritional part all breaks down. The environmental part all breaks down because you need animals to, in a system, we have a, you know, nature's, nature has harmonious cycles. This is how nature works, right? There's a, a circle of life. So the, the, we need animal inputs or we're going to have to use fake, you know, fossil fuel fertilizers so or something to, to try to make them work. We need, we need cow manure, manure. we need cows inputs. on pasture. We need bones, we need blood. All those things are going into pasture. Those into are the, the soil, yeah. Right. There's a great lady doctor, uh, not doctor, Lier Keith. She wrote a book called The Vegetarian Myths. So if anyone is still a vegetarian, they should read this book. She's an amazing woman. She still has her same vegetarian ideals, right? She, she, she still has these same morals, but she realized that animals were a part of the cycle and you couldn't do them without. And she had her own garden and she had to realize that where are you going to get the nutrients for the soil? You need the blood and the bones or some the manure and that it, the, the cycle doesn't work without them. So I would suggest that book, The Ve Vegetarian Myth, Lear Keith, or you could get on my podcast, Peak Human. I, I had her on. It's a great starting point. And she breaks down nutritional argument, done. Environmental, done. And then ethical, even the ethical argument because so many animals die when you try to grow crops on a mass scale. So we can dive into each of those later, but I just wanted to finish the story of how we got here, right? You're, you're, how yeah, did so we get to this? I just want to step in quickly. So the Seventh Day Adventists, a very powerful, you know, uh, strong religious community, invested in all of these grain companies and cereal companies. And, I, and they created, I think, the first dietetics associations. Mm -hmm. And so we have this religious influence and a very kind of pretty strict uh, religious disciplines that are maybe appropriate for that community. People choose to be in that religious community that are being foisted through food choices, through dietetic influence, dietetic association influence uh, for everyone else in the population. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because the dietetics associations still run. I mean, Australia, for example, they have a huge influence on the entire country and they make all these rules and they have all the, the, the associations 
put the, the, this information, this vegetarian information in the medical literature, in the textbooks, in the, even in the back end of the, the systems that doctors use. And so it's really infiltrated that and they have a huge reach. They have, they do a lot of publishing and a lot of podcasts and content and, and just spend a lot of money to, to get this information out there. So it's no surprise that if people are listening to this, this all sounds, you know, far-fetched or, you know, I've, oh, I've heard this my whole life or why does my doctor say this? And we're saying there is a reason that there is an agenda here and that they have their, their, their ways of promoting it. And they've done a great job of it for a hundred years. And they have a university with a big research, Loma Linda University. And so they can create the research and publish the research uh, towards their, their bias. Their bias. Yeah. Yeah. No. And then Loma Linda. So I, I did a debate with a vegetarian at a conference and all she was referencing is these Loma Linda studies and this and that. And she's, this is, but for one, this is epidemiology. So epidemiology. It, explain what epidemiology yeah, is. Sure. Thank you. So all yeah, epidemiology is associational studies. So they use food surveys and other, you know, sort of non-hard science to draw connections and correlations. And oh, well, you know, what have you been eating? And and for one, they're not very accurate too. They ask you, oh, in the past year, you know, how many cups of ribs have you eaten? That's the actual question. How many cups of ribs? And I was like, I don't know, like five, a hundred. Fit in a cup. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, somewhere between five and a hundred. I, I don't know. So, and everyone, uh, you know, skews towards the, oh yeah. I mean, I, I didn't eat that many ribs because we're told they're bad for you. And I, oh, I ate tons of fruits and vegetables. And we even have studies on these studies to show that people over-report their vegetable and fruit consumption and under-report their meat, or there's alcohol all these other things that show that alcohol. Yeah. So, so that, okay. That's a healthy user bias as well. So we'll jump to the healthy user biases. Why do these epidemiological studies? Okay, I'll finish epidemiology versus controlled studies. Epidemiology is associational data. It can only give us an idea of something. Then we can test the hypothesis further with randomized controlled trials or other things, right? So epidemiology, epidemiology can show, cannot show causation. It can only show correlation. To show causation, you need to do interventional studies where you have different control groups and you give them a different intervention, you know, and you have to have enough participants in the study. And then we can actually see if the correlations we saw in epidemiology line up with what we actually see in the actual harder science. So, so that's that. So then a lot of the epidemiology or the correlational studies, they have a healthy user bias, specifically in what we're talking about with the, the health food or the vegetarian slant. Why does why does a Loma Linda study show that people live longer or are healthier eating a vegetarian diet? It's because, like you said, they don't smoke, they don't drink. There's all these other associations of what these people do in their life because they have a very healthy lifestyle. Because these are the people who are going to the health food stores and they're doing the yoga and they're doing all the good things in their life. And they're, they're doing what the government told them to do. Like, don't eat meat. You know, this is bad for you. So it's a, it's a much different population. And they've done studies on this to prove that too, to show that there is this healthy user bias. And, and an interesting one to just kind of prove it out is there's the, the Seventh-day Adventists are these Loma Linda people and they don't drink, they don't smoke. 
and they they don't they're a lot of them vegetarian right but a very similar group are the mormons so they've studied them because they also don't drink and smoke and have healthy lifestyle behaviors but they have no restrictions on meat and they live just as long as the low melinda vegetarian people right so this is a better apples to apples comparison and there is no difference the people you meet are fine they still live long they're still healthy it's because they're eating meat in a healthy way. They're doing healthy lifestyle behaviors. So of course, if you compare the Loma Linda population, you know, all these strict, good, strict living, you know, no alcohol, no, none of that with the random dude in Montana, who's just crushing Mountain Dew and, you know, hot dogs and all this other kind of stuff, of course, they're going to be healthier than that guy. So that's a big problem. So once I started diving into this for the film, you know, in picking apart, why do we have this data? Everything started making sense because before it's really conflicting, right? You hear, oh, well, this person went vegan and they got healthy. And then you, then, but then you're kind of like, hey, I heard this person, they went carnivore or they went paleo or you know keto and they got healthy. So how does this work? This doesn't make sense. But when you kind of look at it from a higher level, you can see that everything does make sense. It's that if you do any kind of dietary change, you're usually doing a lot of other good things with your lifestyle. You're being more conscious about what you eat and you're cutting out junk. And so that's why you're getting healthier. So I'm not denying that you can be pretty healthy on a vegetarian diet. I mean, your story, I mean, maybe it's not going to work long-term and I think it doesn't because I know a lot of older vegetarians that aren't doing well at all. And they, you know, they're yelling at me for my diet. And I'm kind of like, hey, well, you just told me you have four medications and you're overweight. So I, I don't know <laughs> if that's great proof. I, listen, long time, you know, yoga people, we we signed up for all the, you know, the kind of spiritual belief system, uh, vital health, live longer, you know, amazing physical movement and vitality throughout our life. And um, how many yoga people are in their 40s and 50s getting knee replacements, hip replacements, you know, a lot losing their teeth and suffering terribly and really suffering silently because it's very hard to step away from one's own community. So the health has to be pretty low to step away, which is where I found myself. Um, and uh but once we have that great nutrition, once our brain is at full throttle again, and we can move and act with ease and really enjoy life, um, then uh, it just makes sense. And the kind of the veils fall away about the information uh, that we were given or maybe how naive. I mean, I feel kind of embarrassed that I was so naive to embrace it these stories. Well, I wouldn't be embarrassed. I mean, everyone <laughs> fell for it. It's, it's, I mean, I fell for it too. It's the whole world is against us. It's, it's giving, we have this momentum going the wrong direction. All the most powerful governing bodies. I mean, even the WHO in mean, this supposed big world health organization with supposedly everyone's best interests. I don't think they have their best interests in mind. They're pushing fake meats, processed foods, low meat diets. It's just, there's all kinds of agendas and, you know, money going on with all this stuff. So it's no wonder it happened, but so vegetarian can work in the short run. 
And I think this is part of why I keep talking about this high level. If we look at the higher level, we can make sense of nutrition. That's what I want to do in the film. And that's what I try to do. I interview hundreds of people. So it, what, what happens is in the short term, yes, you are cutting out a lot of junk and you're eating a quote, cleaner diet being vegetarian. It's not, it doesn't have enough nutrients. It's not nutrient complete. It's very hard to do. Maybe if you're eating like 10 eggs a day or I don't know how to, how to do it well, but you are going to make some changes initially and you are going to feel better initially. I get it. That's fine. That doesn't mean that that's the healthiest diet or that's what we should do long-term. Even an all-meat diet. Maybe we shouldn't do an all-meat diet long-term. You know, I know it helps a lot of people in the beginning, right? Especially when you're coming from a bad diet and they, it's great, but maybe we shouldn't do all-meat forever. We shouldn't do all plants forever. We should realize that just because of something some intervention works temporarily doesn't mean it's a forever thing. So I think that's a little where we get go astray sometimes because it's like, oh, a juice cleanse. You know, like I know, you know, my friend Bob lost 10 pounds on a juice cleanse. That, that's a terrible idea. I mean, it's just sugar. You're drinking a bunch of sugar. You end up, you lose, lose muscle, really. Absolutely. You're not losing you lose just muscle. fat, right? If you step on a scale, you lose muscle. Same thing with vegan diets. They're like, wow, I'm losing so much weight. And I talked to these scientists and muscle protein scientists, world famous scientists about this. They do the people that have done the studies and the studies showed they did it with uh, you know, more vegetable vegetarian base. And they had one with some protein and animal protein and the ones with the, the less protein, they lost muscle. They did a DEXA scan to see the actual composition of the body. So they did lose a little fat, but they actually lost a lot of muscle. And the group that had the animal protein actually gained muscle during this time because I think they're also, you know, working out a little. So you have to realize that you can lose muscle on these diets, even if you're just losing weight. And muscle is essential for bone strength, mobility, healthy aging. It's not just um, like putting on a set of nice clothes. Our muscle actually is, we need muscle for longevity. We need muscle for optimal health. Perfect. Perfect little uh, throwing in statement right there. It's the muscle of longevity. It, you need, as you age, you need more protein. You can't digest as well. You need more muscle, not more muscle. We're not talking about being a bodybuilder. You need muscle as you age so that you don't die, basically. And, and a lot of doctors are actually, you know, tuning into this and realizing that this is how important it is and promoting it for older people. But I mean, there are just, just studies showing that people who have less muscle, they will break a hip, they'll fall. They, if you can't, if you don't have a good balance, you, you can't even hold yourself up. You need muscle to break your fall or to catch yourself. And if you don't, you fall, you break a hip, you break something, then you're less mobile, you're less healthy, and you go into this downward spiral and you end up dying. So you need muscle. You don't need to be a bodybuilder. You just need to carry some muscle and you need protein for that. And you need complete protein, which is animal protein. So um, we got to try. Oh, so I was saying the difference. So the, just the short term versus the long term. So so short term, yes, you can lose weight, but that doesn't mean it's fat on any type of diet. I mean, there's a guy that lost weight on a Twinkie diet, right? And so, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, if you just starve yourself, you're miserable, you can eat Twinkies and lose weight. 
you're going to lose muscle as well and you're going to be miserable. So the, the idea is what, what is the best diet for humans, right? And everyone's different and I get that, but we're not so different that we can't do the same type of patterns and, and eat whole foods and avoid processed carbs and sugar and embrace animal foods and we can all be healthy. So that's not a specific diet, but it's a very general prescription for what humans should eat. It's embracing animal foods. It's embracing protein and fat, minimizing processed carbs and sugar. And that, that's about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's super simple and you can do whatever version of that you want, but I mean, that's not, I'm not describing a vegetarian diet. I'm not describing a vegan diet, but that's, this simple truth, like if you ask a scientist, they would probably say what I said on the highest level, but then they have this cognitive dissonance where they'd say, oh, but then, you know, follow the food pyramid because that's what I learned in medical school. But you're like, hey, but that doesn't work with what you just told me about eating whole foods and embracing animal foods for complete protein, bioavailable protein and micronutrients. So that that's kind of where we're at as this cognitive dissonance where this, what we know about human physiology doesn't exactly match up with our recommendations. And maybe I, I guess I could get back to our recommendations, how we got there. Yes, do. And particularly, I, please do. And then also address the recent, relatively recent WHO, WHO, World Health Organization, push towards a vegan diet with some very, some special billionaire sponsors on that. Um, so yeah. So how did we get to these recommendations? So yeah, there, there's a lot of interests that have been kind of pulling strings over the decades and, and we won't get into all of those, but the big point, the kind of turning point was in the 1950s. So people may have heard of Ansel Keys, sort of this common story in, in our community, at least where it was, it was Ansel Keys that was put in charge of figuring out why we had this heart disease problem, right? So in the 1950s, our president uh, Eisenhower, was it? He had a, had a heart attack. And this was also the time when people were smoking, everyone was smoking, you know, you've seen these shows and the everyone you know, they're in the elevator. Smoking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were eating and also we're eating all the margarine. It's like, oh, you know, the ads, you drink, you use margarine, you know, it's better than butter and all this stuff. So in this time when we were eating our normal diet, which was always meat and vegetables, right? Meat, vegetables, potatoes, fine. Whole foods, that's all great. But what was, what was changing around in the 40s, 50s, 60s was tons of smoking and tons of fake margarine. So this, I'll just jump ahead, is a real problem, right? So this threw us off. So then we had this guy, Ansel Keys, and there was actually someone against him called John Yudkin, who was a, a British guy. And he was saying, hey, I see all the, the, the sugar and the flour and the, these vegetable oils coming into populations, and then they get sick and they get fat. And Ansel Keys was saying, hey, I think it's a saturated fat. I think it's cholesterol because when we see someone with a heart attack, they have cholesterol in their arteries. So that means if you eat cholesterol, you're going to get a heart attack. And unfortunately, science isn't that simple. Human physiology is not that simple. You don't just eat cholesterol and then it just goes into your veins and arteries and just Only clogs them up. It's <laughs> just a few veins. <laughs> yeah, just there, just at one specific <laughs> spot. And so it doesn't work like that. Uh, your body 
has all kinds of systems that, I mean, make their own cholesterol. If you don't eat cholesterol, your body will make it. I mean, it won't barely make enough. So it's good to eat cholesterol. So you have enough, but why would your body make this stuff if it's going to kill you? I mean, it's an, it's a, a very vital thing to our entire hormone system and many other parts in every cell of our body is made of cholesterol. So it's very important. So we, we, we had this bad idea and I don't know, Hey, we had some bad science back then. It was 1950. You know, we didn't, we didn't have everything we have now. So we made some conclusions and then Ansel Keys, speaking of epidemiology, did some observational epidemiology and went to some studies, some countries and, you know, he went to 22 countries, but he threw out all the ones that didn't fit his model. And he ended up with seven of them. And he's like, hey, well, this country eats the most saturated fat and they have the most heart disease. This one over here, like Japan has the least saturated fat and least heart disease. So I'm going to throw out the other you know, whatever 15, 15 right. countries, throw them out and make my line look really good. And so he won, he won out John Yudkin with the idea of sugar, flour, and oil. He got beat. Then we started forming our dietary guidelines. There's this whole story about it. We'll go through in the film. And even this vegetarian guy was like, kind of right. This young intern vegetarian ended up writing a lot of it. It was kind of funny. And we, you know, it, it was a sad mistake. They even said, what's the worst that could happen? Well, they came up with this low fat diet and they're like, what, what's the worst that could happen? Right. Cause Hey, fat's bad. What's the, or what's the worst that could happen if we just recommend the low fat diet? Well, what happened is it ruins our country and there and extended to the world because the world adopted our guidelines and it also opened up the whole processed food industry. So if fat is bad, that means you have to have something. So carbs must be good. So then if you take out the fat in products, food products, they taste bad. So you have to add sugar and, you know, processed flours to make it taste good. All these things. Yeah. You have all these crazy ingredients, fake flavors, all this stuff to try to make foods taste good. Once you take the natural fat out of them and guess what? That's where all the profit is, is when you start making these processed foods and that are made up of cheap cornmeal and soy that's subsidized by the government, which is part of the story too, is we had in America, we have so much cornmeal and soy and land and government subsidizes it. And then we're like, what are we going to do with it all? And this is a cheap way to feed the world. Let's just feed, you know, it's all these unintended consequences that kind of just spilled out from thinking that animal fat was bad and cholesterol was bad. So when we, and it's perpetuated, because that's where the profit is. So I have a meat company. I have this grass-fed meat company called Nose to Tail. This is, we'll get to later. It's, you want to eat the animal nose to tail. You want to eat the organs, all that type of stuff. That's where good nutrition is. But anyway, I don't make very much money at all because I have to give it all to the ranchers raising the cattle and doing all the things. And if you're just selling meat, you don't make money. Profit margin is in processing. The profit's in the processing. So this whole food industry is making trillions of dollars if you add it all up. And they're hiring lobbyists. They're doing all the commercials you see on TV. They're doing all the billboards, advertisements. Everything is a self-perpetuating system now that they have all this money on high profit margin foods. If you put a box of cereal together, speaking of Kellogg, you can put, I don't know, seven cents worth of cornflakes in a box and you can sell it for 350. You know, this is where the profit is. If I 
I sell a piece of meat for $10. I got to pay $9 for that meat. You know, it's like, there's a lot of things that go into getting that meat there. So it's no wonder people would skeptical like, Hey, what is this? Is this some conspiracy theory or this or that? Like, no, it's just economics. It's how the world works. The, the fake food industry, which is anything in a, you've ever heard of basically any company you've ever heard of makes all the money and they have all the control and they continue to advertise and tell people to eat these foods and the, and the meat and dairy industry have no money. I know people that work for them and they, uh, they scrape together and they have what got milk campaign. You know, there's like one campaign over the last 20 years. It's got milk and Oh, I guess there's beef. That's what for dinner. They don't even have these advertisements anymore. Pork, so the two. other white meat. Do you remember pork. pork, the other white meat? So in three decades, we had one pork campaign, <laughs> one beef campaign, and one milk campaign. And there are billions of other campaigns everywhere you look in the entire world. There are campaigns for everything else. There's Coca-Cola. I've been to remote areas of the world in the middle of Africa. It's Coca-Cola. There's McDonald's. This is where the big money is. This is why these myths are being perpetuated. You have the dietetics associations we mentioned. That there, there's a lot of interest. The WHO you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of people with a lot of money making this happen. Bill Gates talked about how, he, how much money he makes off his investments in the impossible foods or beyond meat. And he joked around that he'll lose money elsewhere, but he'll make money on his, his fake meat investments. The guy who made the Game Changers film, James Cameron, famous director, he was invested $170 million in a, a pea protein company, right? Then he made the Game Changers. This is, there's big money behind this. WHO is, is not just some, some like super beneficial organizations. It's just out to save the world. They're a business. They're making money. I wanted to say about The Game Changers because you made a wonderful response film. The Game Changers was this film by James Cameron. And for those who don't know, James Cameron is probably the most award-winning filmmaker. He made The Terminator, The Titanic, Avatar. And he create, he has 140 or $170 million. That's a lot of money, people, in pea protein. And then he made a film about these great game changers, these vegan athletes who I assume use pea protein and Arnold Schwarzenegger, whom he made a star 35 years earlier yeah. in the Terminator within the same two weeks that the Terminator three opened the game changers opened with Arnold Schwarzenegger in both of them. I imagine that Arnold's Arnie would say anything for James because <laughs> And to be a 70-year-old action star and get another paycheck, um, Arnold was very lucky. So Arnold built this amazing career, obviously on meat, uh, really changed bodybuilding, physical aesthetics and everything like that and became a superstar. And uh, now he was out there saying, oh, yes, whatever James Cameron says. <laughs> he loves me. Yeah, well, it's a good point. He made he made his entire physique and career off animal foods and meat. And then at, and then later in life, he's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't eat so much. But then I included in the Game Changers debunked film that I put on YouTube, they did a GQ, I think it was GQ or Men's Health. One of these magazines did an interview with him around the same time as Game Changers. And like, what's your favorite food? He said, steak. They opened his fridge. 
there's a huge bowl of eggs and he was putting raw egg in his smoothie. So, I mean, obviously he still understands the value in animal nutrition. He just, yes, he'll say what he needs to say. And maybe he has some misguided ideas too, right? I mean, a lot of these people think that they're, they're on the right track and they're, oh, we're going to save the world, save the environment on a vegetarian diet. And I, mean, I don't blame him. You know, I don't think it's all money. I think he just thinks that, right? It's it, based diet is healthier because that's what they've been told. Are you a yoga teacher or wellness coach dreaming of earning a professional income doing what you love? Yoga Success with Kiki is a coaching and entrepreneurial program for you. Learn a system with the inner and outer supports that changes lives. Learn more and work with Kiki at yogasuccesswithkiki.com. You can learn to earn your yoga and wellness living. Yeah, that's just, like I said, that's where the momentum is. That's where the money is. That's where the advertising, everything is geared towards this message. There's no money in our message. And, you know, yeah, we're just here talking about it for free. And that's not going to make us any money. And it's not going to like no meat people are going to make a lot of money. There's no big vegetable that's going to get a lot of money from just eating some vegetables. I don't know. It, there's just no money in it. So you, um, the, the organization or the, the advisors or the medical advisors, researchers that came together and were involved in this new recent WHO, let's go towards a vegan diet. I think you had an opportunity to speak with someone who was part of that and said that, uh, what mm-hmm. did he uncover about that process and about the kind of science involved there? That was a really interesting one. I actually had to get special clearance to interview this guy. It's Dr. David Klerfeld, K-L-U-R-F-E-L-D. Did a podcast with him. I don't think he's done any other interviews on it, but he was part of that working group, they call it, that the the WHO put together in 2015. This is so this is why everyone thinks that meat causes cancer is from this specific working group the WHO put together. The WHO has an agenda. They I'll, I'll just they they knew what they wanted to do with this working group. They got so what he told me, it was all a bunch of vegans and vegetarians for one thing. And they ignored his data. So he was a USDA scientist. So, you know, he's a PhD. He's, he's kind of just a middle of the road, balanced diet type of guy. Actually, people, it's funny, people who listen to that podcast with him were kind of upset that he was promoting a balanced diet. And I said, hey, give him a break. You know, he's just some random you know, USDA researcher. He thinks that, you know, you need all this fiber, you need blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. Don't, don't worry about what he thinks about a balanced diet. Just know that he is pro-meat. He understands science. He understands that this is a vital part of our diet. And he was the only one speaking up on meat's behalf. And so, yes, he said there was, it was, he, he was, you know, having lunch with them and they're like, oh yeah, I'm vegan. I'm vegetarian. You know, they have these bias. He, he thinks that they should have had to disclose that before, you know, making these recommendations to eat less red meat. I mean, it, it should make sense or at least have a balanced panel and have, you know, seven vegetarians and seven meat eaters, but they didn't, they had, it seemed like he was the only one supporting meat. And he also would, he said they were ignoring his studies. So he would bring part of the working group is we'll put all the studies, you know, you bring these studies to the table, we'll examine them all and we'll make a decision. They did not, they did not take his studies he brought to the table that showed 
that meat did not cause cancer, they threw them out. They never used them. And really, of all the studies, there really was not, there was only, you know, one or two more on the side of meat causing cancer than there wasn't. I mean, so if they included his, it w- we would have won. The meat side would have won. But anyway, there, it wasn't like some big lopsided thing. Landslide. And also, there's all the, there was no landslide. But there's also the healthy user bias. There's so many things that go into it. I mean, we could do a whole two-hour thing about just why there would be even suggestions that meat causes cancer. And I would say the simplest is it's what else you eat, not the meat. I have a shirt that says that. It's what people were eating with the meat. So we we did find a more of a correlation to meat causing cancer with processed meat, right? So people know that they process meat, they they think that that causes cancer. What do you eat with processed meat? You eat a hot dog with a bun and a soda. What do you eat with a a hamburger? And a bag of chips this big. Bag of chips. French fries cooked in seed oils. What do you eat with... Any processed meat, you're eating a bologna sandwich on white bread. You're eating a cheeseburger with a milkshake. Everything is what you're eating. The 90% of Americans don't know about nutrition. They don't care. They just eat. So of course, and they all know that meat is healthy and they like meat. So they're all eating it, but they're also eating junk. And so of course, when you look at the correlations, they're, they're, you'll see more problems with those people eating more processed meat or even just more red meat. Cause these are the people who ignore their doctor's suggestions and are just eating a bad diet in general. So the conclusion of that is that again, it's correlation and it wasn't even a strong correlation at all. So going back to smoking. So this is how science works. We do epidemiology on smoking before. Yeah. You're saying doctors were smoking cigarettes. We had no, right. Airplanes. No Everyone on the airplane was smoking. It's insane. People are in elevators smoking. You're in the rolled up car. I was a cocktail waitress, a bartender in high school and college. And we just lived in a sea of smoke. I mean, if you didn't smoke, it didn't matter. There was so much smoke in the room. It's crazy. People, parents were smoking in their car with the the windows rolled up and their kids in the back. Whatever. It it was a nightmare. So we did some epidemia. It's, It's crazy. We did some epidemiology, right? Back back in the day, we thought, huh, there's 20x amount of prob- you know, heart disease and cancers with smokers. Maybe there is something there. And then, of course, they did the more rigorous studies and the control trials, and then they proved it. So, but they, what they found in the epidemiology was 20 to 30x of a risk factor when you smoked. Okay. Now we're talking about meat. It's a 1.7x risk factor. So that means, so okay, people don't know how science works. If the risk factor is under two, you can't even say anything about that. You can't attribute that to anything because of error, right? There's a, a error ratio that has that uh, it has to be over two or it, it is just noise, right? It's just, oh, well, it's noise, right? So the, this, it was only 1.7 for red meat. Two is a limit on just noise. And smoking was 20x to 30x. So this it's just so crazy that they'll use these little correlations. They didn't have any good science. They didn't have any hard science on that meat causes cancer. Yet they said to the world, meat causes cancer. And people still think that. And I still, you know, I'm on social media and vegetarian, vegan people will still say, hey, but the WHO 2015 said that 
I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is. Well, what happens oh, is oh, a lot it's a, it's of uphill these, battle. these studies, including the study that, you know, cows cause the most harm to the environment. These studies are actually corrected because they share wrong information, but no one ever reads the correction. People are still just seeing a cut and paste of the original study. And it's not like it's corrected on the world stage and everything is just sort of nixed off of the web. So this information just keeps going around and around again, even though it's been debunked and it's wrong. That's a good point too. There's a whole film called Cowspiracy that is is all based on a study that was retracted. It's, right. it's so funny to me that that study was publicly retracted, is publicly retracted, and this entire stupid documentary still exists that people still watch and still think is real. And there, it was it, like their big point was the missions of animal agriculture was like way more than the entire transportation industry. And they're just, so it made it look really bad. And that's completely wrong. The scientists had to publicly retract that. You can look that up. It's called the law, li, Livestock's Long Shadow. So you can look up the Livestock's Long Shadow, which was a study, and then retract it. And the, you could see that they were wrong. And that the transportation industry has far more emissions, way more of CO2 and all this type of stuff than cows. Cows have been around forever. All the different types of ruminants, which are other types of animals that have, you know, four stomachs, eat grass, bison, buffalo, stuff like that. They've been around forever, hundreds of thousands of years. There was millions of them, tens of millions roaming the plains. There, this, there's the same amount. I think there, I feel like there's more. I think there's more bison than uh, currently we have in America and in, in all the cows we have. So how come... It wasn't a problem back then, right? right? Why are they, 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 they release the same amount of methane, right? These, these bison do have the same digestive system. So it, it's, it's sort of just smoke screens, cop out. It's just kind of just propaganda, really. It, it, like there's more methane released from termites and from swamplands and from rice. Those are three giant emitters of methane that are more than cows. And this is just like big world data. You can go to FAO, you know, whatever the big data around the world. It's very accepted, but no one reads it. No one goes to these data tables that I had to go to and look at these pie charts. And you look at the pie chart and it's, you know, it's landfills. Most of the stuff producing methane in landfills is plant waste, actually. So really it's a lot of plant food is wasted. There's way more plant food wasted than animal food. So much for one plant thing. food is wasted. I mean, you can just see it in the dumpsters outside of grocery stores. You can see it open anybody's refrigerator and open their veggie crisper drawer. There's mm. plant material it's rotting rough. in there. It's so amazing. Once I stopped eating a bunch of plant foods, I waste so much less food. I don't waste any food, really. I mean, I'm eating every scrap of everything. And if you don't have, I mean, there's also just public world data about the difference in how much plant food's wasted. It's way more. And that comes at a cost. If we want to talk about the environmental costs, we should talk about shipping all these plant foods all over the world, shipping bananas out of season to the Europe, to America. There's so many sources of greenhouse gas or carbon and all this stuff. If you want to try to calculate it all, it's from the plant foods. It, you could, 
I don't get how people even think it's animals. You stick an animal on grass, you stick a cow on grass, the sun, the rain, the grass, it's a perfect system that works by itself. And yeah, go. I was going to say, I don't know how, on the one hand, how the cow got so demonized um, when people have dogs and cats and horses and kind of see the cycle of life there. And that's, you know, obviously not like feeding your animals, uh, you know, canned foods and canned meats and everything like that. That's sort of invisible to people, but these cows out there on the pasture or cows who are in feedlots the last three months of their life, of course, we all want a humane treatment of animals, particularly of animals who are the food that we're going to consume in this cycle of life, mm-hmm. who bring us such amazing, sustainable nutrition. Um, but the cows have been so demonized um, in the love for cows. There's also this idea that they're just dangerous. Um, it's, it's very, it's, it's really strange to me. I don't know how that came about and how these meats were, this is red. It's bad. This is a white meat. It's chicken. It's low <laughs> fat. Uh, I think traditionally uh, I met someone, she was doing like her PhD research on how many, the, the, um, the diet of like new, new America, like the 13 colonies, people ate like 300 types of ducks, you know, like Mm -hmm. 400 types of birds. And now everyone is just homogenized and we only eat a few foods uh, in terms of, and then our opinion of foods are eating differently um, and what's clean and what's not clean becomes more pronounced. There's like a moral judgment put on foods or the people that eat the foods that have been consumed by our ancestors and homo sapiens and, you know, our entire evolutionary forefathers. Well, it, it started a hundred years ago, 140 years ago, really, if you count when Ellen G. White first started talking about it, but yeah, it took decades. The answer is it took decades of, Just it this happened overnight, slow process, because we had to undo everything. All our ancient ancestors, our recent ancestors in early America, our ancient ancestors, we all knew this stuff, right? And then it took decades of misinformation, advertising, propaganda, just all of that to undo that information we all knew, even people's grandparents, people's grandparents, your grandparents probably knew, hey, we eat butter and we eat meats and we have potatoes, whatever vegetables, and and we're good. We're not going to eat fake butter. We're not going to, you know, we eat real butter. We have real food. This was common knowledge. And then we, we flipped it and we've, we've just lost our way. And I think our community is kind of just telling people we're not coming up with these wacky harebrained ideas. The WHO was the one with the wacky harebrained ideas trying to get you to eat processed foods and have this world food system and we're going to have fake meats and this and that. No, that's a wacky, crazy idea. 
we're just going back to what we always knew, which is eat whole foods, embrace animal foods, and we'll be healthy. So there, it's, it's a great job of disinformation. And I mean, that, people know how that works these days, fake news, disinformation, propaganda, whatever side you're, you, you want to think about it, it happens on both sides. But you, people know it's possible, right? And people should understand that these interests have infiltrated our society. And you have to just kind of shake your head a little bit, like do the Etch-A-Sketch sometimes and think about it. Just like, hey, let's Etch-A-Sketch, erase the board. Let's think, what, what have humans been eating forever? We've been eating red meat <laughs> and other meat, right? Any kind right. of meat. Why would this be bad for us? Do you think it's the red meat that's bad? Or do you think it's the, all these modern processed foods, fake foods, sugar, flours, oils? I mean, it's, I, you could ask a five-year-old. We might do that in the film. Like, hey, kindergartner, what do you think is healthier? And they'd probably say what their teacher told them is the problem. Right. <laughs> well, you talked about now uh, fat is bad, so animal fats are out. And then we were introduced to these so-called animal fats are bad for our heart. Now we're mm -hmm. introduced to these so-called heart-healthy oils, and you touched on these industrial seed oils or these seed oils. These are commonly known as polyunsaturated fatty acids or PUFAs or high omega-6 oils, and these replacing the good animal fats are being implicated in these sort of modern diseases of the last 50 years. Can yeah, that's, that's, that's the hugest thing. That's the hugest topic these days. And it's super important because the, the data, we're, we're finally kind of figuring this out. It, it took a while for us to realize this. And there's some great doctors and scientists, you know, digging into this now. And uh, there's also a great correlation, right? If we want to look at some correlations, we're not going to draw causation from it, but we can look at the correlation is that Throughout the last 40 years, we'll, we'll put a we'll put a um, say a, a graph up in your mind of 1980. This is when the the big food pyramid was introduced officially. I mean, we had these recommendations before that, but 1980 was also the inflection point. If you want to think about this graph, the obesity of the nation, you know, was kind of rising a little bit, and then there's a sharp inflection point in 1980, and it's been going up ever since. All right, so something happened, and I always like to think too, it's like, what do you think a whole bunch of people in 1980 just decided to not eat, like eat less and move more, not eat less and move more. They just decided, oh, everyone's willpower went out the window in 1980 and everyone just decided to eat more and everyone just be became lazy in 1980. And character, right? the entire character of human beings in the United States just crumbled overnight. Crumbled. Everyone was just like, screw it. I'm going to be fat. I don't care. It's it's an absurd hypothesis that this is sort of this eat less, move more notion. This is the calories in, calories out notion. This is part of how we get, got into this mess is that we thought all calories were equal. And we didn't have a lot of good science back then. Like I keep saying this, 1950, we didn't have good science. We thought all calories were equal. But now we know that protein is definitely different from fat or carbs. So for one thing, protein calories are way more important. These are the building blocks. These, they keep, it keeps you full. Protein keeps you full for longer. So you won't overeat. It has a higher thermic effect. It actually burns more calories for you just eating it. So you can burn more calories, you know, 
in the energy balance equation. So, so protein is definitely not like fat or carbs. And also processed fat and carbs are not the same as whole fat and carbs. So whole fat is animal fat. Processed fat is the seed oils, which we're about to jump into. Whole carbs are potatoes. Back in the day, you could eat meat and potatoes and you were fine, right? Because we didn't have tons and tons of processed sugar, processed flour and fine grains and oils, right? So processed carbs and fat are not the same as whole carbs and fat and protein is not the same as carbs and fat. So this is why you can't just say eat less, move more because who you're not telling us which one to eat less of which one to move more. This also explains why in 1980, there was this inflection point of obesity and chronic disease. It's not because people just didn't balance calories all of a sudden it's because they ate the wrong types of calories. And we were told to eat less red meat, and eat all these low fat foods. So what that happened is our protein went down and our processed food, our processed carb and processed fat, which is the seed oils intake went up. So this is why the inflection, it's so simple, but no one is talking about it. There's no film has even covered this point. Either films like, oh, we're a low carb film and we're just gonna make a low carb film or we're a vegan film, we're gonna make a vegan film. I'm not doing either of those. I'm trying to tell people this is how science works this is how human physiology works. It's very simple. You have to eat whole protein and fat and you, and eat less processed carbs and processed fat. And it's super simple. And this, you, you can see what happens. So I was going to say the correlation, right? So we, we see this upward sharp uptick in obesity in 1980. So we actually did eat less red meat since they told us that. So actually a red meat consumption did go down a little bit and chicken went up. And our, our sugar, actually, our sugar consumption did go up for a couple of decades because we we're eating all the processed foods, but then it actually started to go down again because people started to realize sugar was bad. But the great correlation is the seed oils. So these things we call vegetable oils, a very euphemistic term for something that's really bad for you. These things have been skyrocketing ever since 1980 or way long ago. I mean, we invented them 1910, 1920s. Crisco, for example. Crisco, exactly. Yeah. So at least we figured out that the real, the, the trans fats are bad, right? We kind of figured that out five years ago and we've been phasing the them hardened, out. But... The hardened seed oils are the trans fats. The exactly. The style or the Crisco style. Exactly. So those are the real bad ones. And at least recognize that those hydrogen oils are other sort of versions of these seed oils, which are a highly processed bad food. You can't get a lot of oil from cotton seeds or these other just little seeds. Cotton seed oil used to be a industrial byproduct that we use for, and we just use it for machinery. And then they decided to market it to people. And that's basically how Crisco got invented. There's a whole you know, story, I guess you can read online about how Crisco story, was invented and this con seed oil. And these two, it's crazy. Um, it's insane that these two brother-in-laws Proctor and Gamble, uh-huh. uh, were kind of in the oil business, uh, the tallow business, I think in candles and soaps and things like that. And then they found a way to take some kind of junk oil and, uh, process it enough to make it, uh, seemingly edible edible yeah. and Crisco was born 
Um, and they marketed it well too. Like it was clean. It's oh, it's not gonna. It's not like your grandma's like dirty lard. It's just clean. Like, yeah, it's great. Great marketing. Um, so now we have these seed oils, and I don't understand all the science, but somehow the way these so-called heart healthy, so-called vegetable oils, these industrial seed oils, the way that they interact with our fat cells is completely different than how our traditional fats interact with our fat cells. So we're seeing this marked obesity. Um, And I think one other important thing is for our listeners is that even though people might think, well, I don't eat according to the pyramid, all manufacturers follow the pyramid, all institutional, any uh, government sponsored institution has to follow the pyramid. So that's children's lunches, prisoners' meals, uh, armed services, hospitals. Retirement facilities, yeah. Hospitals, yeah. The people who need health the most in the hospitals. I have a lot of friends that work in hospitals, doctors, and they are appalled. These people are in for heart disease, diabetes, and they're getting fed pure processed foods, high carb, high sugar foods. It's, it's insane. It's so insane. yes, it is. It's a good point. It's a, it's a good point that just because you don't follow it doesn't mean that no one does a hundred percent do they're either forced to follow it. Like all those institutions you mentioned, or they are getting recommended it by their doctors, or it's just seeping into their psyche and they, they think that this is the right way to go. And so even, and then even if you aren't following those guidelines, say you you understand that process, all these refined grains and sugars are bad and you're not going to eat packaged foods. You can still be getting tons of the seed oils without knowing it. They're in everything. All these supposed healthy salad dressings, healthy, this healthy, that they're made of soybean oil, all the cheap oils, pretty much everything you can buy in a store is made with these seed oils and even restaurants, you think they're healthy, but they'll cook with these oils. So they they're getting do. into your diet. Yeah. Even five-star restaurants. Um, I don't, if you watch like the cooking shows, you know, these top chefs like Bobby Flay will be like, take your canola oil and squeeze it over this. And it's like, <laughs> canola oil, Bobby, what are you doing? Um, yeah, it is. It's really ubiquitous. And the other thing too is in these very high priced vegan and vegetarian specialty foods, Everybody loves their oat milk. They're just drinking junk oil. You know, there's yeah. a little. There's it's a highly processed. Yeah. The oil is number one or two or three in the ingredients. And this is thought to be so healthy. Vegans are and vegetarian minded people are spending a lot of money on these specialty foods. And they're mostly junk oil. And again, they're just processed foods. It's sad. Marketing works. You know, these narratives work. People just, that's how human nature is. You sort of fall in line with the narrative and, oh, well, I'm a yoga person, so I have to be vegetarian. And since I'm a vegetarian, I have to do this. And you don't really question things. And it's, you can be way more sort of environmentally friendly, ethically friendly to animals. If you just completely shake up your whole system and be like, huh, if I just went to my local farmer, I went to farmer's market and they have, you know, the, the ranchers there, I've been to them, you know, they always have a rancher. They always have a meat person there. If you got an animal from them, you got some eggs from them and some meat. 
there, there was only one loss of life. There was that, that one cow died and it could feed a couple hundred people. Then that was it. But if you're eating these oat milks and all these other processed vegetarian foods, they had to clear out millions of insects, small animals. They kill thousands and thousands of small animals. There's studies about it. How many mice, ground nesting squirrels, or ground nesting birds, Frogs. smaller animals, baby deer, all this stuff. They're killed in the combines. They're killed. They starve to death. When I've talked to these, these farmers that do it. I know some farmers that do you know, plant egg and animal egg. And they say, oh man, I kill so many more animals with, with the plant agriculture. We poison them. We have people out there shooting, you know, different deer. animals, shooting deer, shooting foxes. They have, po they, they poison them with the pesticides. They also, the, some of the worst deaths is once they plow up all the fields of corn, wheat, soy, whatever, there are thousands, thousands of animals that just starved to death because they had all the food, you know, they would eat the grains, but now when you harvest the grain and all that's left is a little stock, there's no food for them. So now there's thousands of animals that just die. So, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> you have to bird. You have to just think about, and I don't know. You have to go against the grain and it's really hard because everything's kind of working against you. The whole world, you know, marketing and money and everything's working against you. I think that for me, for my personal journey, and certainly I was vegetarian for many years, many uh, yoga friends or vegetarian friends are not happy to hear my message. Um, I'm probably a little older than most of them. So they haven't reached the mm -hmm. nutritional deficit yet uh -huh. that I had reached. Um, they were not as disciplined and extreme as I was for as long as I was. Um, it's an unpopular message, but what I've done and what, and which is how I came across you and your work um, is that I have, gotten a new encyclopedia of information you know i've aligned over here with doctors with researchers with sport you know sport medicine researchers and cardiologists and who are really you know in the trenches doing the work and revealing this many of them totally flipping the way they did healthcare like jason fung who's a uh, nephrologist mm -hmm. And he saw that his diet, you know, working with the Canadian National Health, and he saw that all of his diabetes patients just got fatter and sicker with more insulin. And then he took a took a new turn at, with ketogenics, with fat, you know, intermittent fasting in the ketogenic model, and is changing people's lives and publishing books. And so doctors like him, uh, with these strong missions, who've been there, who've seen it. Now, this is where I'm getting my information from. And as my health improves, my energy, my vitality, my sort of mental health, you know, a lot of these, not that I'm going to say I lacked mental health, but a lot of the kind of anxious superstitions or fearfulness um, that vegans and vegetarians have about the food system or that, you know, meats cause cancer or that animals are you know, suffering a thousand times, you know, worse than what the true situation is. 
I think that I see it now in my own personal experience as um, lack of beneficial nutrients for our brain's ultimate functioning. So um, there are communities out there to align with and to get the information. And certainly that's your mission, what you're sharing on your podcast and in your film. And about your film, you're gathering so much new information all the time. When are we actually going to get to see the film or how do you know when it's done? I think that's something that's oh, so interesting yeah. to me with great documentary is that it just, it just tells a three act story. Could go on so forever. Yeah. It could go on forever. And then how does it end? Yeah. yeah well, it's been a journey and yes, I, I love that point too, where you're talking about all these other great, doctors and scientists, just because you haven't heard of them does, doesn't mean they aren't out there and that there's many great people to, that are showing the other side, right? So these are all great scientists and doctors. And yes, we're featuring a lot of them in film and it's just been a long road. I've discovered a lot in the journey making the film and I'm kind of glad it took so long because I think the film wouldn't have been as good if I just did my first you know, thoughts, it, it could have been another standard low carb film. It's like, Hey, don't eat carbs. And I really, you know, if I made it a year and a half ago, but I realized there's so much more to it than that. And, and then this whole lockdown thing has kind of set us a year back. We're still waiting for things to open up to film in Africa and to film in the Smithsonian with some great uh, paleo anthropologists. It was really cool. And the, you know, that national air and uh, national uh, museum of what is it? Museum of Natural History. That's what it's called <laughs> in DC. So we're waiting for these things to open again. We will have it out by the summer. Um, and it is, I mean, we finally, we kind of rewrote it. it. It really is coming together in an amazing way. We're trying to do something more than anyone's ever done. And so it is taking a while, but we've, we have settled on the story. It is, it is, is not going to change. There is, yeah, there is sort of, yeah, there is a story, right? There is a three act story there. We're trying to weave these tales together, but we finally come to a point where we're confident with our message. And now it's just, we're just going to execute it. And it, it's a, you know, it's a process. We have all the graphics and, oh man, we're trying to make just amazing graphics, amazing visuals of all the stories we're going to do and ex little experiments all that. I mean, Game Changers took five, over five years and millions of dollars. So and we're doing this. many athletes dropped out and we're not. Many athletes dropped out. We have some of them. Uh, Tim Sheaf was an athlete that dropped out of Game Changers because he realized vegan the vegan diet was screwing his libido up for one thing and his health. And he's in our film. So wonderful. That's great. And yeah. he was in your um, response film to the game, game changers. changers exactly yeah i really admire timothy sheaf he's such a gifted movement artist and athlete and uh i watched him you know just go down on that vegan diet of course wanting to be the most compassionate person that he could um so he's back he's back now as an athlete and again, just testing the creative uh, movement limits of peak performance. So that's exciting. So um, you still have your indie go-go going. Mm -hmm. And uh, why don't you tell us where to help complete the film? Why don't you tell us where that is? Yeah, foodlies.org. 
So you can find the Indiegogo. We're doing this all crowdfunded. We're not doing James Cameron funded by a pea protein. <laughs> it's all funded by the crowd. So yeah, we still need people. We're still spending tons of money on editors and uh, music and graphics and all that stuff. So that's foodlies.org. Great. And um, so, yeah, what would you, for those who are suffering ill health or who are watching their loved ones um, Mm -hmm. die of these diseases and feeling that they're really powerless, where, where to start? Where would you tell our Mm. listeners here to start just to be able to have the confidence, some confidence to make some new choices? Yeah, it's hard because it takes a while to change your mind. And, and I guess my podcast was a, is a great because so many people messaged me. They have a story. Your podcast is really you have such amazing people on there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I'd say that I mean I've worked really hard. That's all I've done. I mean, really for a couple of years, all I did was work on the film and do the podcast. This was just my mission, and 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 they were connected, right? These were the great experts that I got in the film, and these are world famous, amazing people that I've got on my show. And that's I think the best place to start. You can start. I tell you, start back at episode one. So many people, they message me, changed my life, changed my family's life. We're off all the medications. I was going to die, all this stuff. And it's just, all I did was, you know, interview the top people. You can go straight to the source by listening to interviews with them. And then you can go research them. And if you start going down this rabbit hole, you will change your life and you will understand the science behind it and why it's, it all makes sense. So yeah, I'd say peak human. Great Peak Human podcast. And I'm going to share all of that below. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me, Brian. It really means a lot to me because you're such a busy podcaster (laughs) to have you uh, here on my, you know, seedling of a podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for letting me just share the message. That's all I want to do. Well, I'm here to support you. And uh, when you're documentary is going gangbusters. I look forward to speaking again. Absolutely. Thank you. One more Kiki TV? Go beyond. Subscribe at kikitv.life for hundreds of hours of tutorials and members-only content that you won't find anywhere else.